If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hey everybody, welcome back to Games with Bill. I had a lot of people uh, reach out to me through like DMs on Twitter or I got a couple of emails, uh, people who are saying uh, that they noticed that I had posted uh, a bunch of episodes recently, like more, I had been doing one episode a week for a while at this point. And I had people who said, you know, they sent me messages saying, thanks, for all of the extra content, uh, they really were appreciative and they said really nice things about me. So thank you very much for everybody who sent messages. I had a couple ask why I uh, was doing all of these extra episodes and I don't have a good answer, uh, but I'm going to just going to tell you my quick thoughts in under a minute. So we're at 52 seconds right now. Uh, so I got to get this done in less than one minute 52. Uh, so here we go. For a long time, I had been doing this show and posting it as a video podcast as well. And for those of you that don't know, video podcasts take a lot more time to produce than an audio podcast. And while it makes a lot of sense for me to still continue to make video podcasts, and I will continue to make video podcasts, it makes more sense, or at least the... Uh, the, the audience tends to show up more when it's a shorter form uh, thing that's about one content or one topic. And Games with Bill, a lot of times, is centered around a bunch of different smaller topics. And so I figured when I'm doing things that are about like one topic, that'll be a video and I will post that video. And when it's about a bunch of stuff, that will be audio and it is now one minute and 52 seconds one minute i mean there's gonna be you'll have extra time on yours because of the intro music um but i did it in under a minute and i cannot believe that and it, even if i screw up i'm not gonna try and redo this because i cannot believe it i nailed it all right last week i talked about the state of play sony had a state of play as part of summer games fest we've got a lot of summer games fest stuff to talk about on today's episode uh, so stick around for that. But Sony uh, did their part of Summer Games Fest on, I believe it was June 2nd. Uh, I gave you my thoughts. Overall, I thought it was really good. There were a lot of games in that Summer Games Fest that I found interesting, um, which is why I put out an episode about it. That's when I make episodes is when I find something interesting. Uh, but I wanted to know what what people like what my audience thought of the state of play. So I had posted this to my YouTube channel generally because that's what gets the most traction. Like when I post it to Twitter, it doesn't get as many replies. Uh, when I post it to YouTube, lots of people tend to see it and re re interact with it. So I posted a poll. I said, what did you think of the state of play? Uh, and 40% of the over almost 800 people 
that responded, uh, they said that they didn't watch it. So 40% didn't watch it. Of the people that did watch it, uh, it was very heavily leaning towards um, that they that they like a positive um, a positive response. Twenty seven percent said it was great. Twenty eight percent said it was okay, and five percent said it was bad. So, of the people who watched it, very few of them didn't like it. And I think that that's very telling because overall, I think that uh, the state of play got a fairly positive response from most people who were who watched it, and. I I really do agree with that. I think that it was good. Um, a couple of replies that people had sent in, obviously not all of the replies, but, you know, Fi uh, posted that Street Fighter Six looks awesome. They're extremely interested in that. They're also interested in Stray, Roller Drome, uh, and looking at replaying Spider-Man when it comes to PC and maybe even Miles Morales in the future. They thought it was definitely one to remember, uh, and the VR stuff looked cool. And they uh, like Eternites. Uh, Dead Captain James said they were excited to play Spider-Man on deck. Hopefully, Final Fantasy 16 is on the PC as well. I, I, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna give you a little disappointment there, Dead Captain. I don't think that's gonna happen. Well, that's not true. I, it will come to PC eventually, but I'm gonna guess that it's come going to come to the Epic Game Store instead of steam and i'm betting that dead captain is probably interested in it coming to steam so that they can play it on steam deck uh but we'll you know maybe i'm wrong about that he can always uh write in and let me know uh and then finally uh chris allen said that they were excited for the pc release of spider-man i i will say that i love it that sony is releasing their games on pc i hope that they don't just do it on one store i hope that they do it on all of the stores because it makes it easier to it, it makes it easier for to to get your game in the hands of people if you if you meet them where they are. Anyway, uh, speaking of the state of play, Jeff Keeley, uh, he he said he said this is <laughs> he said manage your expectations for Summer Game Fest. I've said this on the show many many times uh, that people. They 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 man, they don't manage their expectations. They expect X to happen. Developers never say that X is going to happen, and then they get mad or angry with developer when X doesn't happen, and it's their own fault. They decided that this was going to be a thing. Nobody told them them that it was going to be a thing, and then they get angry when it's not a thing. Here's my example: Stadia. When Stadia was was not even announced yet. Um, they there were all of these rumors swirling around that it was going to be the Netflix of gaming. You you would have a subscription and you would have access to like all of the games, kind of like Netflix, where you just get all those movies. And uh, that sounds extremely appealing, but that's not what Google said it was going to be. And so when Google announced what it was, which was basically an online store where you could play games without investing any money in a box to go under your TV. They were like, well, that's not what I wanted. Okay. That's fine that that's not what you wanted or well, no, they, they, everybody said that's not what I was expecting, but Google never said that that's what they were expecting. And of course, Stadia got sidelined fairly quickly by people not managing their expectations. And we've seen the same thing with Nintendo directs where Nintendo 
says, hey, here's a direct. And everybody's like, I think it's going to be Super Smash Brothers Ultimate 2. And then Nintendo doesn't announce Super Smash Brothers Ultimate 2. And then they get a bunch of hate because they didn't announce the thing that they never said that they were going to announce. It's ridiculous. And it happens incredibly predictably every time. So Jeff Keighley is like saying, hey, uh, everybody just cool your jets. Don't accept expect megaton bombshell things. Uh, just, you know, let's be excited for what we get and not disappointed for what we don't get. And I think that that's a really good attitude to have. Unfortunately, uh, Mr. Keeley, I think it's your 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 comment is falling on deaf ears and people will inevitably people will say, oh, he's just trying to throw us a curveball so that we can be really hyped when this thing happens. And I don't think that's the case. You know, with all of the delays and and uh, issues that we had from the pandemic, the gaming industry is still very much in uh, disarray, I think. And people are you know, doing their absolute best to make sure that they ship games as fast as they can. But that means that because of all the delays and stuff, there's a lot of extra work to do. And I think that that uh, managing our expectations is probably a good idea. Here is exactly what Jeff Keighley said. He says, we've got a couple of new game announcements in the show and hopefully some surprises, if anything, if everything holds. Definitely manage your expectations in, turn, in terms of megaton shocks that you're expecting. We've got lots of good sh- stuff to show you, but buyer beware that some of the crazy rumors I'm seeing out there in terms of things people expect to get announced. Anyway, let me know, what are your predictions for Summer Game Fest? Like, what are we going to see? What are you excited about? Let me know. At me on Twitter, uh, or, or yeah, just at me on Twitter. I'm at Run Jump Stomp. Speaking of Summer Game Fest, uh, if you did not know, Xbox and Bethesda are host- hosting. Uh, a show on the 12th. I'm recording this on the 6th. So on the 12th, we will see uh, some some stuff from Xbox and Bethesda. I'm very excited for this. Uh, super excited. I've got an Xbox. I love Bethesda stuff. I'm subscribed to Game Pass. So uh, I'm expecting that whatever they show us, I will already have access to because it'll be part of my subscription, which is yay. Um, I think that we'll see some really good stuff. And I'm excited for that. But this is very interesting. Xbox and Bethesda are also doing a second presentation on June 14th. So on Sunday, June 12th, we're going to be seeing whatever it is that they had uh, planned. But now there's also another 90-minute long event that's happening on June 14th with even more trailers and more in-depth looks at some of the new announcements. So what I imagine we'll see in the first showcase is probably smaller snippets of stuff that will then be expanded upon in the, the, the second day. And I think that that's good. What I hope that they don't do, I, what I hope that they've learned from in the past, because <laughs> in the past they've really stepped on it, uh, is uh, like when they did that Age of Empires thing. Uh, I'm all for Age of Empires. 
It's my it's probably my favorite real time strategy game was Age of Empires two. I, I absolutely absolutely adored that game. Uh and I, I'm all for showcasing that game, even though I'm probably not interested in it. Um, but last time they did this weird thing where they were like showing off the fact that there were movies in the Age of Empires game that uh, taught you the history of like the trebuchet and stuff like that. It was bizarre. And that is not what people tune in to this stuff for. At least uh, that's not what I tune into it for. Maybe there are people who are like, I wonder what the what like how a trebuchet really works i'm gonna tune into the xbox event to find out doesn't really track for me but maybe i'm wrong if i am wrong let me know i'd love to hear from you uh but anyway uh i expect we'll get like bite-sized stuff in the first event for the people who have no attention span and then in the second event they'll stretch some of that stuff out and give us more details and i'm here to tell you I'm hyped for all of that because I love video games and I love I like that's the reason that I look forward or used to look forward to E3 each year was for the announcements. There were all these cool announcements that were happening and it was just an exciting time as somebody who loves to talk about and uh, study the gaming industry. All right. More Summer Game Fest news. Um, Jeff Keeley again. He's the guy in charge of it. He said this year's Summer Game Fest will feature events, activities, and updates for fans from more than 30 partners with more to be announced. It's going to be a great month for video game fans. Get ready. Now, first off, I want to say more to be announced. Okay. And then he said this is the 2022 partner lineup. So I'm going to I'm going to list off the 2022 partners so far for Summer Game Fest, which is essentially the replacement to E3 since E3 is dead. Okay, here we go. We got 2K, Activision, Atlas, Bandai Namco, Bloober? I don't know who Bloober is. Capcom, Coffee Stain, Deep Silver, Devolver, Digital Extremes, .mu or .emu. I don't know how you say that, but I'm excited about their stuff. EA, Epic Games, Focus Entertainment, Frost Giant, Humble Games, Infinite Level, Mediatonic, Muhoyo? I don't know what that is. Uh, Netflix, PlayStation, Raw Fury, Samsung, Sega, Square Enix, Skybound, Steam, Studio MDHR, Tribeca Festival, WB, and Xbox. And you know who I didn't say in there? You know who I didn't say? Did you catch it? Yeah, I didn't say Nintendo. Now, it does say at the top, more to be announced. So maybe there's more. Maybe Nintendo's coming. But you would think somebody of Nintendo's, um, I don't want to say caliber. What's the word I'm looking for? Presence? Footprint. Uh, whatever the word it is that I'm looking for, I, you would think somebody like Nintendo would be listed on this first thing. Nintendo has always kind of marched to their to the beat of their own drum. You know, uh, and they were like the first ones to to ditch the the live presentations and just go with the pre pre made videos with the Nintendo Directs. They've done that for years now, but at E three, they've always had Nintendo Directs. Well, for the, for for years now, they have they have had a Nintendo Direct at E three, and then usually followed up by the Treehouse. With E three canceled. Nintendo not par- participating in Summer Game Fest 
It's kind of disappointing. Now, does that mean that we won't get any announcements from Nintendo this summer? No, I don't think that's even a little true. But it's not going to be during Summer Game Fest, which is really disappointing. Um, because I, I look, Nintendo delayed their big, uh, their big guns this year. They delayed, um, Zelda Breath of the Wild 2 till next year. And maybe that's what this year's E3 presentation was going to be all about. And now that E3 is canceled, Nintendo can just say, well, we'll just make an announcement when we need to. And if they don't make an announcement in the middle of this, in the middle of Summer Games Fest, then people won't be nearly as disappointed with whatever it is that they talk about. Kind of like people who are unable to manage their expectations. I would, if Nintendo was in this list, I would think maybe we'll hear something about Breath of the Wild 2 since it's coming out next year. I'm guessing spring next year. Um, if it's coming out spring next year, then they, they should probably talk about it around this time. That makes sense. And everybody would assume that, but maybe they don't want to share that information yet. Maybe they want to hold on to that information until later in the year. One thing that I want to give Nintendo credit for is they're good at managing when to drop information. So, for instance, Square Enix, terrible at knowing when to drop information. Square Enix will, uh, you know, they'll tell us about a game, and then that game won't come out for like seven years or something. You know what I mean? Whereas Nintendo has been getting really good about holding everything close to their chest, not saying anything, and then they're like, oh, and by the way, there's a new hardware device called the Nintendo Switch, and it comes out in six months. That's a really good, like that that timeline from announcement to release is very short. And I think that that's the way to do it. And Nintendo, uh, they've been better at that than other companies, I think. Anyway, do you think that we hear from Nintendo as part of Summer Game Fest? Because I don't, I don't think that we do. And I think that it makes, it's disappointing, but it makes sense for them. And somebody might say, well, but Bill, Metroid, you know, they, Nintendo announced Metroid. And that's been years upon years upon years since that was announced. And we still don't have it. And you're right. But when they announced that, Nintendo didn't have any... They didn't have a choice. They had to announce Metroid Dread or was it Dread, uh, Metroid Prime uh, Four at that time because they had just announced a new piece of hardware, and they just announced um, uh, Metroid. Uh, shoot, what was it? The the two D Metroid on the three DS. They had just met, uh, announced that game, and if they didn't announce Metroid at that time, Metroid Prime Four then they would have gotten a lot of backlash. So they had to announce that too soon and look where it got them. It bit them right in the tail. And so I think that Nintendo's doing the right thing in this case. If you've listened to the show for any length of time, I'm sure that you've heard me, heard me, heard me, heard me. There we go. English. Uh, I'm sure that you've heard me get on a soapbox and talk about loot boxes and how I feel that they should be regulated because I don't like the way that they are. They feel scummy. Well, it looks like there are 18 countries, and there's a link in the in the show notes, so you can check this out for yourself. But there's 18 countries that agree, and they are calling for loot box regulations because they they uh, this document dubs the practice of loot boxes as exploitive. Now, 
what kind of um, what kind of things should the industry and the regulators do to improve the landscape around loot boxes? This comes to us from Game Industry, uh, sorry, GamesIndustry.biz, which is a great website if you follow the games industry. But uh, I really like some of these things. Banning the deceptive design. So deceptive design is essentially they're they're using tricks that either exploit um, behavioral biases towards incentivized spending, um, also advertising the possible rewards, which is they they are also calling that de- um, deceptive. Uh, so what do, what do they mean by that? Uh, exploiting cognitive or behavioral biases. I one of the things that I think that they do quite often is they will be like, "Hey, you can get." you know, a loot box for five bucks, or you can get 10 loot boxes for, you know, um, I don't know, 40 bucks or something like that. And somebody might hear that and think, oh, well, that's just, that's just, you know, they're, they're doing a sale and you're, you're not wrong, but they'll say, uh, it's only for, you know, this 24 hours. And so if you don't buy it now, then it's gone and you won't have that opportunity. And that triggers something in some people's brains where they're like, I better grab it right now or I'm not going to be able to. And especially younger people, uh, uh, very much so. And, you know, you might think, OK, well, you know, it's it's on to, it's on the parents to regulate that. And I do agree with that. But I also don't think that there's any real benefit outside of just, you know, them making money. There's no real benefit to designing the loot boxes in order to um, triggers the thing in somebody's brain to, to, to be spending money. Look, these companies, whether you like it or not, they bring in like psychologists in order to design the system around getting your brain to trigger that buy button. And it's it's kind of scummy. Anyway, they also said that they should denote all in-game purchases in real-world currency. This I love. I cannot stand, and I think Microsoft was like the first ones to do this way back on the Xbox 360, I think. And I called them Microsoft Space Points back in the day. But essentially, you would spend X dollars and get Y uh, points in order to buy things. And what that does is it adds a layer of separation between your ability to know what you're paying for and how much it's actually costing you. Because we think in terms of, and I'm just going to be an American here, we think in terms of dollars and cents. And unless it's a one-to-one point system, it feels like you're not really spending money when you are spending money. So always saying the dollars and cents cost instead of it costs 500 space bucks. I think that that's a really good thing because it makes people understand that they are spending money. And yes, adults generally understand that they are spending money, but there is like the way they wouldn't do these things if it didn't trick some people. And I think that that's an important thing. Uh, Not implementing loot boxes in games aimed at minors. Absolutely. If you put a loot box in your game, in my opinion, it should be rated M for mature. 
and it should say includes real gambling with real world money. Now, I can then, uh, my son, who's 13, I can then say, oh, I'm going to buy it for him anyway, and then I just won't let him spend any money on those, and that's fine. But when you are playing a game that is like rated E for everyone, like, say, FIFA, and it's got that, the I don't know, the FIFA World Cup team or whatever, I don't know, I don't play FIFA, but it's got like these loot box packs where you can get the players that you want, that's something that's... That's not okay, in my opinion, because you are teaching kids how to gamble. And the earlier that they start learning this gambling thing, the more likely that they are going to be drawn to it, in my opinion. I'm not a psychologist. I don't know. That's just my opinion. They also say more transparency around algorithms that determine the outcome of a purchase. Um, I don't... Sure, I guess. I guess that's them saying if you buy this, you have a 50% chance at getting, uh, you know, Mario with a hat and you've got a 40% chance of getting Mario without a hat. and You've got a 1% chance of getting Mario wearing a Luigi hat. You know what I mean? Um, th that would be fine because a lot of times you don't know what your chances of, of winning are. And I think that that is a good thing for them to do. And then finally, more enforcement around consumer rights in games. These are the things that this document, which is backed by 20 different consumer groups in 18 different European countries, is asking for. And the more countries that do this, the more likely that companies that are engaging in these, I'm going to say, predatory practices, the more likely that they are to rein that stuff in rather than be regulated. And like, that's how, that's how the ESRB was born. You know, people were unhappy with the violence in video games and games like Mortal Kombat and laughably Night Trap, which was not really violent at all. Um, you know, they, they didn't like the violence that was in those things. And so they said, all right, well, we're going to come after you video game industry. And the video game industry said, you know what? What if we do this? What if we make a uh, an advisory board that decides who these games are for and and then you don't regulate us? And the government said, that works for us. And the more country, countries that do this kind of thing, the more likely we are to have the industry self-regulate, which I do think is better than having them regulated by the government. But they're not going to do any kind of self-regulation at all unless these pro-consumer rights groups go after them. Anyway, let me know what you guys think. I, I, I really do want to know. Uh, speaking of loot boxes and microtransactions and people being unhappy <laughs> with, uh, with the video game industry, players are not happy about Diablo Immortal. Now, I've, I've been talking to some people in our community Discord, which, by the way, there is a link to in the show notes. So make sure that you join our community discord. Sometimes I, uh, we, you know, we, we get together and play games in voice chat on there. So join us, uh, link in the description, or maybe you can go to nerdnest.tv slash discord. If I remember correctly, just check, check the, check the show notes. You'll find a link. Anyway, Diablo immortal has a lot of microtransactions. I booted the game up on my phone and I played it for a few minutes and I decided this isn't for me because I don't like playing games where my thumbs are covering the screen. I just, I'm not a fan of that. And I've got plenty of other games to play, so I figured, why am I going to keep playing Diablo Immortal? I'll just play something else and enjoy myself. So I ended up reinstalling Path of Exile on my Steam Deck and I've been playing that for my 
ARPG itch. Um, but the people who have been playing Diablo Immortal have been running into lots of chances for them to spend money. And I mean, Activision, boy, if you had talked to me five years ago, I would have said Blizzard is like just the best company in the world. But man, was I wrong. Activision Blizzard, they are so scummy. They're so super scummy. And they're run by a bunch of scums. Like, I just cannot stand the people who are in charge over there. And I, I just can't wait for some other company to take them over and tell them, you can't behave like this anymore. There's no guarantees that when, that when Microsoft buys Activision that they're going to clean up their act. But I think that they might. Anyway, um, so <laughs> basically, if you want to get like legendary crests, which are a very important thing, I guess, in the game, they're available. There's only three that are available each month unless players spend money and they act like these randomized loot boxes and they only have a 0.05% chance of getting a five-star gem for each legendary crest used. So you play, if you don't want to spend any money, you can get three legendary crests a month. You use those crests to open a loot box. And if you want to get a five-star gem, which is, a good thing to have in the game, then you have a 0.05% chance of getting that gem. And then one, let's say you get that gem and then you want to rank it up to rank 10. It, once you get to rank 10 of that gem, if you want to enhance that gem, if you want to make it better to the next level, it needs a material that you can only get from the store for $15 that sounds terrible. Now, if you want to, if, if you're just concerned with efficiency and pretend that money is no object, if you want to get legendary gems as fast as possible, which you need them in the game, you need to spend $100 of the game's premium currency. By the way, that's not going to be like you would have to, you got to figure out that it's $100. It's not $100. It's listed as some stupid premium currency and it's not a hundred. You know what I mean? You got to spend a hundred dollars worth of the premium currency, which cannot be earned unless you spend money, real world money. And it would call it, it would, uh, you would get 45 legendary crests. So each one of those is now $2 and 20 cents. And then you open those legendary crests, $2 and 20 cents a piece that guarantees a legendary gem when the fit, when when the player buys 50 legendary crests. Now, there was a Twitch player who spent $3,000 and didn't get a single five-star gem. So, that seems like maybe that uh that failsafe isn't necessarily working. But that's just the legendary crests. On top of that, there's a bunch of other microtransactions that are throughout the game that are ways to take your uh <laughs> there's just so many ways to give blizzard money for this and it feels so pay to win it feels absolutely pay to win or luck and that's not a good feeling whatever happened to making a game and having that game 
just be to play the game. And I understand Diablo Immortal is a free game and they have to make their money somehow. But did they really have to be that blatant? Because the best way to make money in these games, if you want to keep your players happy, is to not have it based on power. Don't worry about all that stuff. Just have it based on cosmetics. You know, when you kill, when you get a crit, have like the numbers pop up with rainbow colors, but only if you spend $10 to have the rainbow color thing. So if I'm playing with you and you have the rainbow color thing, you spent $10 on it and you get a crit and I see that, I'm going to be like, whoa, that's cool. I'm going to spend $10 on that. Or maybe you'll see me and I'll have like these cool skulls floating around my character. And you're like, how do you get that? And I say, oh, well, you get that from the item shop. It costs like $20 or something. And sure, that might seem like a lot of money, but it's completely optional. It does not affect the actual gameplay. This stuff with the legendary crests and the the subscriptions and stuff, this is all very much affecting gameplay and when it affects gameplay that's when it becomes pay to win and it's so it so much affects gameplay that i talked about this before but diablo immortal is not allowed to be on the stores uh, uh, on like ios and google stores in belgium or the netherlands because they don't they they have issues with the loot boxes so these other 18 countries that are calling the loot boxes manipulative and exploitive, th- those are 18 more countries where Blizzard might have to pull their game or change their game. And I'm hoping that they change their game rather than pull their game. But, you know, that's only going to happen when that number of 18 countries gets bigger and bigger and bigger. All right, speaking of ARPGs, there's one that I want to talk about real quick. Um, I, I this, this is over at Game Informer, and it looks so cool. It's from the developers of Monster Train, which I've never played, but they've got this new game out called Inkbound. And I want to tell you, let, let me tell you exactly what they said about it, because it got my attention. Inkbound takes players on a journey through a procedurally generated, I always love that, storybook world battling monsters that are set on unraveling the very nature of reality itself players can dive in solo or party up via online co-op in hybrid real-time turn-based encounters all the while heroes become more powerful the deeper they progress in each roguelike run so i've said this many many times in the past i love the so one of the things that i love about a, a moba which is a multiplayer online battle arena. Think uh, Dota 2 or League of Legends or my favorite, Heroes of the Storm or um, Smite. Those are all examples of MOBAs. When you boot up the game and you go into a match, uh, everybody starts out at level one. Even if you've been playing the game for a million years, everybody starts at level one. And you start at level one, and then by the end of the match, uh, you might be like level 20 or something. 
But then the next match, you're at level one again. And the reason why that's really cool is because as you go through, you know, you level up, you get to level five and you're like, oh, I get to spend this talent and change my build to fit the kind of things that I'm going up against. That is really, really great. I love that gameplay mechanic, but it's always been kind of locked into a competitive scene. And while I very much enjoyed Heroes of the Storm and Smite, I'm not super competitive when it comes to video games. And so the idea of this same kind of implementation of uh, leveling mechanics in a PvE game, that is incredibly compelling to me. Uh, because let's think about it. Let's say that, you know, you and me and, you know, a bunch of other people, and we all want to go into a dungeon together, but you play like every day. And I play like I play on Wednesdays or something. You're going to be like way higher level than me. But if we go in to this fight together, we're doing it for the, like, we're all level one together. And then as we progress through the dungeon, we get more and more powerful as we go deeper into the dungeon. And then the next time that we play, we're starting over again. And, and where do will you get from that? Well, it's a roguelike. So essentially, it's this procedurally generated thing. And as you're going through, you're like, man, I'm seeing a lot of skeletons. I better level up, say, my bludgeon weapon because that's really good against skeletons. Or maybe you're seeing lots of, I don't know, uh, fire monsters. So I'm going to level up my water spell casting ability, like that kind of thing. And it makes each run unique and different from the last. And I think that that's really, really cool. And this game, I forgot what it's called again, Inkbound, looks really cool. I love the graphics. The The art style is very interesting to me. Very uh, super bright colors that pop off the screen. And then the idea that the combat is a combination of real-time and turn-based, that's really interesting. Anyway, the game comes out, uh, I guess it's supposed to hit Steam Early Access in 2023, which we're pretty far away from that, but it definitely seems like something that I'm going to want to play on my Steam Deck, and uh, it just looks cool. Anyway, uh, let me know if you have heard of any game that sounds like Ink, uh, it's a terrible name by the way, Inkbound. Uh, if you've heard of a game that that sounds like what I'm describing Inkbound to be, because I might want to check that game out too, because this one sounds absolutely rad. All right, everybody, that's it for today's episode of Games with Bill. Thank you so much for hanging out with me, and I will see you on the next one. As always, uh, if you enjoyed this, make sure you head on over to like the iTunes iTunes Store, Apple Podcasts app, whatever it's called. If you're if you're listening to this on an Apple device. Uh, give it a give it a rating. Give it a five-star rating and leave a review. We really do appreciate that. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.